Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, and we have walked through Inferno and are now walking through Purgatorio starting in this episode. Let me just say that if you, you, you haven't walked through Inferno, you, you really should go back, because some of this won't make any sense without Inferno behind you. Listen, you can drop into Purgatorio here if you want, that's fine, but there are 231 episodes back there about Inferno behind us in the first season of this podcast, so hey, <laughs> I want to check that out. As I explained in the first episode on Purgatorio, we're going to break it into chunks, and this is our first chunk of Purgatorio. It is made up of the first two cantos, cantos one and two What's going to happen in this episode of Walking with Dante? I'm going to read my English translation of this giant chunk. It will not be found on my website, markscarborough.com, because I want you to listen to it rather than read it. After we get through reading the whole thing, it's going to take me a little bit of time to read two full cantos of Purgatorio. Remember, no voices, no funny voices in this podcast. But when I get through that, then we're going to stop and I've got some interpretive questions, some basic questions these first two cantos bring up. I'll go over those. And then in the next episode, we'll start breaking it into the chunks, as we always do. We'll start with the first 12 lines and move on through it. So without any further ado, let's just read Cantos 1 through 2 in my English translation from the medieval Florentine of Purgatorio. To make its run through milder waters... The little boat of my talent hoists its sail so it can leave that cruel sea behind. So I'll sing of the second kingdom, the one where the human soul purges itself and becomes worthy enough to leap into the heavens. But here, may my deadened poetry rise again, O holy muses, for I am yours, and here let Calliope rise a bit, following along in my song with those chords that made the miserable magpies feel such guilt that they despaired of any pardon. The sweet color of an Asian sapphire infused the peaceful feeling of the air and stayed pure out to the first circle. It filled my eyes once more with desire. The moment I'd gotten out of the dead air that had sickened both my eyes and my chest. The gorgeous planet that pushes us to love made the whole eastern sky laugh, her light even veiling Pisces who was her escort, turning toward my right hand and setting my mental faculties on the other pole, I saw the four stars that no one has seen since those first people. The sky seemed to exult in those glittering lights. Oh, northern locales, indeed widowed spots, deprived of a vista like that. As I made my gaze turn away from those stars and turned myself a bit toward the opposite pole where Ursa Major had already set, I saw close by me a single lone old man. His whole appearance deserved so much respect that no son could have given his father more. He sported a long beard that was dappled with white, similar to what was on top of his head. 
It all fell onto his chest in double strands. The rays of light from those four blessed stars bestowed such an illumination on his face that it looked to me as if he were basking in the sun. Who are you? who've come up along the dark stream to have made your escape from the eternal prison, he said, shaking his honored locks. Who'd you have for a guide? And what'd you have for a lantern that lets you exit from the deep dark night that always shrouds Hell's Valley in blackness? Have the laws of the abyss been abrogated somehow? Or has a new directive been issued in heaven so that you... The damned may now come to my seaside banks. At that point, my master, Virgil, reached out to me with words, with his hands, even with gestures. He made me show obeisance with my knee and my brow. Then he answered the old man, I didn't come under my own steam. A lady descended from heaven because of her prayers. I gave this man my company as his aid. Virgil went on. But if you want a complete explanation of our condition, such as it really is, I'm certainly not the one to deny what you wish. This man hasn't seen his last sunset, although his folly brought him pretty close to it. So close that there was very little time left for him to turn back. As I said, I was given a mandate to go to his aid. There was literally no other way except this one that I've pressed him onto. I've shown him all the enraged peoples and now I intend to show him those spirits who are purified under your jurisdiction. How I brought him here now would take a long time to tell. A great power from way up above has come down to help me lead him to the spot where he can see and hear you. May it please you now to hail his arrival. He goes in search of freedom, which is so very precious, as he who has given up his life for it well knows. You know what I'm talking about, because freedom didn't make your death so bitter back in Utica, where you left the garment that will shine on that glorious last day. We haven't broken any of the eternal edicts, for he's alive, and Minos doesn't bind me. You see, I'm from that circle where your Marsha, with pure eyes, prays that you, O oh, sacred breast, still hold her as your own. Because of her love for you, I pray your favor. Let us go on through your seven realms. I'll report backward of you to her, if you permit yourself to be mentioned way down there below. Marcia was so pleasing to my eyes when I still had my existence over there, this old one then said, that I did whatever favor she sought from me. Now that she's taken up residence beyond the evil river, she can no longer compel me to do anything, as it was so legislated when I got out. But if a lady from heaven moves and commands you, as you say, there's no need for flattery. It's well enough for you to ask me for the sake of that lady. Go then and see that you reclothe this one with a smooth rush. In other words, that you wash his face to get rid of all that filth. 
You see, it's not right with his eyes so clouded like that for him to go before the first minister who himself comes from paradise. At the lowest spot all around this little island where the waves crash against the shore, there are some rushes that flourish in the soft mud. No other plant can leaf out down there or even become sturdy enough to thrive with life against the incessant battering of those waves. When you've done that, don't come back here. The sun, which is just now beginning to rise, will show you an easier path up the mountain. And just like that, he disappeared. I then stood up without saying a word and pulled up as close as I could to my leader, drawing my eyes toward him. Virgil began, son, follow my footsteps. Let's turn back now. As you can see, the little plain slopes down from here to its lowest point. To dawn was putting to rout the first morning light, which had already taken flight. In this way, I could just recognize, way in the distance, the vibrations of the ocean. We went along the lonely escarpment like travelers who've lost their road and wander around in vain until they can find it again. When we got to the spot where the morning dew still duked it out with the sun and hadn't yet evaporated, that is, a spot cooled by a slight breeze, my master spread out both his hands and gently ran them through the soft grasses. Then I understood his craft. I offered my tear-stained cheeks to him. He uncovered all the natural color in my face that hell had so shrouded. Now we went on to a place that was truly deserted. No man has ever sailed to that spot and then sailed back to where he'd come from. So Virgil indeed outfitted me as it pleased another. And oh, marvel of marvels. The humble reed that he had selected grew back instantly from the very place where he pulled it up. The sun had already gotten up to the horizon, that is, the meridian circle at which it stands up over Jerusalem at its highest point. Likewise, midnight, that is, the circle coming around from the other side, was rising up from the Ganges River with the scales of Libra, which fall from the knight's hand as she takes on her full reign. In just such a moment, just where I was, the white and rosy cheeks of gorgeous Aurora were becoming orange as she aged. But we were still hanging around on the seashore. We were like people who think out the road ahead, whose hearts are moving on even as their bodies remain where they are. And behold, right there, in the mists of the morning, like Mars glowing red through the fog and suspended low above the sea's western edge, there appeared to me, and I hope I'll see it again, a light that was coming so fast across the sea so that nothing can compare to its flight. I turned my eyes away for a moment to ask a question of my guide Virgil, but then I saw it again, seemingly brighter and bigger than before. Then on either side of it there appeared something that seemed so white. I really had no idea what. And then something even whiter just below it. My master still didn't utter a word, but when that first whiteness appeared to be wings, he then recognized the boatman, and he cried out to me, Do it! Do it! Get down on your knees! Behold the angel of God! Fold your hands! From now on out, you're going to see officials of this ilk. See how he disdains all human devices, so much so that he won't use oars or sails except for his wings. 
even though the shores are so far apart. See how he stretches his wings straight up toward heaven, beating the air with those eternal feathers that won't ever molt as mortal plumage does. Then, as the heavenly bird came closer and closer, its radiance got so much brighter that my eyes couldn't take it up close. So I looked down, and he came up to the shore with the ship so fast and light that its keel drew no water at all. The celestial helmsman stood at the stern. He was the type that had blessedness written right on him, and more than a hundred souls were seated on board. In exitu Israel de Egypto, they sang in plain song chant all together, but with one voice, with the rest of the psalm as their ongoing text. The angel made the sign of the cross over them, at which they jumped out onto the beach, and he took off just as he'd arrived. In other words, fast. The crowd who remained there looked around the spot the way Starringers do when they try to size up new locales. The sun was shooting its well-aimed arrows of light in every direction, for he'd already hunted Capricorn out of the day's meridian. When the new people lifted their foreheads toward us and said, If you guys know, show us the path for getting to this mountain. And Virgil replied, you believe that we're perhaps familiar with this place, but we're pilgrims just as you are. We just got here just a little before you did, but by another road. One so harsh and hard that this climb will seem like a walk in the park to us. The spirits began to understand who I was because of the breaths I took. That indeed, I was still alive and they blanched with wonder. As people crowd around a messenger with an olive branch to hear the latest news without a care how they jostle each other, so all of those fortunate souls kept their eyes fixed on my face, almost as if they'd forgotten they were to go and make themselves beautiful. I saw one of them coming toward me to give me a big hug. He had so much affection for me that I was moved to do the same to him. Oh, empty shades, except in your appearance. Three times I clasped my hands behind him, and each time I drew them back against my own chest. The wonder of it all, I believe, tinted my face, at which the shade smiled and stepped back while I pressed forward as if to follow him. Speaking gently, he told me to cut it out. It was then that I recognized him, and I asked if he could stick around a bit to have a chat with me. He replied, just as much as I loved you when I was in my mortal body, so I still love you when let go from it. So sure, I'll stick around. But you, where are you headed? My Casella, I said, I make this journey to get back to the spot where I am right now. But how come so much time has been taken from you? And he said to me, nothing outrageous happened to me. If the one who picks up whom he will, when he will, refused me passage so many times. For his will is made by a will that is righteous. Sure enough, for three months he has peacefully taken others who wanted to step aboard. And so I came back to that spot near the sea where the Tiber's water turns to salt at the right moment. And he mercifully gathered me in. Back to that river's mouth he has now directed his wings. For that's where all those congregate who don't fall down to Archeron. 
So I said, if a new law doesn't take from you the memory and practice of those love songs that used to shush all my sorrows, may it please you to console my spirit a little with one now, for it has dragged my body here, and I'm completely out of breath. Love that carries on a discourse with me in my mind, he began then so sweetly that the sweetness still sounds inside me. My master and I and these people who were around Casella seemed so content, as if that song was the only thing that could touch our minds. We were all transfixed and gave our full attention to his melodic notes. When behold, the honorable old man appeared out of nowhere and cried, What's up, lazy spirits? What utter negligence is this holding you all in this spot? Run to the mountain to slough off the filth that keeps God from being made manifest in you. As when doves pecking at wheat or tares will peacefully flock to a pasture without their usual air of prideful strutting, Yet when something appears that they fear, they'll all at once forget about eating because they've been bashed about by bigger concerns. So did I see this new band of souls leave off their song and flee toward the slope like men who hurry away even if they don't know the road ahead. We too bolted out of there just as fast. There you go. The first two cantos of Purgatorio. And before we get to six interpretive questions that immediately come to mind out of this passage, we have to say that there is without a doubt, and this is validating the listeners and readers experience, the poem has gotten harder. We are at a place where the references are a bit more obscure, where the science is a bit more medieval and so a little further from us. We've gotten to a place where the references are a little personal to Dante. Uh, the, po the poem's gotten harder. We need to recognize that, and then we need to move on and deal with it. So here are six questions that immediately come to mind. One, are we in the same poem? This seems like a funny question to ask, but we have passed over a divide. We do know that comedy lies in three canticles, the canticle of pain or inferno, in purgatorio and in paradiso. And when we come over chapter breaks like this or big division breaks in any work of literature, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the same piece of literature? Let me explain this just for a little bit. If you were to write a novel and you were Oh, you know, ongoing with your plot. And let's say, you know, people rarely write a novel from chapter one to chapter 31. They write various pieces of it. Then they piece those pieces together. They sew the thing up and then they have to figure out how can I make it a single novel? Because you don't want to go over a bump from chapter seven to chapter eight and suddenly think, Ugh. Where am I? I'm thinking here, particularly in my head, of a novel I did with a book group I lead, uh, Bernadine Evaristo's Girl, Woman, Other, that won the Booker a couple of years ago. Um, that book, the chapters are very uh, different. They're in different voices. Different people are speaking. They're about different characters. And you kind of have to live through a couple of them before you start to realize that the chapters are referencing each other and characters who were major characters in one chapter are now minor characters in another. You may know this from Faulkner's As I Lay Dying. But in Faulkner's As I Lay Dying, the 
tonality, the word choice, the way words are put together help unify the whole thing, even amongst the many speakers. In Everisa's book, not so much. The chapters are pretty diverse and pretty strange in the way they divide up. And you constantly have the sensation as you start it through the first couple chapters that you're starting a new book each time. Well, so in similar manner, we have to say here, are we in the same poem? Have we come over a break and the break is so large that we've actually changed gears? We're kind of in a different poem altogether. We're going to try to work on that question through these first two cantos. And it's important to see how it's working in these first two cantos and the way that Dante sews it together. Because for me, the answer is yes, we are in the same poem, but Dante's going to work very hard to make sure we understand that, even though we can hear the tonal shift already in the poem. Here's the second question. Who is this old man? <laughs> <laughs> and how is he significant? Who's this guy that suddenly appears with the mottled gray beard? It's not completely gray, mottled gray beard. And then he disappears and then suddenly he's back again. Lazy cows, what are you doing lying around here listening to us? Poetry, get moving. He's spoken of paraphrastically and there are clues here and we'll talk about those clues and we can actually nail him down exactly who he is. But is it significant? that Dante doesn't name him. Is it significant that there's a paraphrastic problem here? That is, remember paraphrasis from Inferno to, to name something, to talk about something by walking around it without directly naming it, to name, let's say, a historical figure without directly naming that figure, but telling you attributes of that character and not specifically naming it. And we talked there about it as kind of an intellectual game to make sure that you're intellectually competent enough to read Dante's poem, that you get his references, that's part of what's going on with the paraphrastic speaking. Is that the same thing here or is there something different going on here? Are there other ways we can question why this old man is spoken of so paraphrastically, even though, as you'll see, we can nail down exactly who this is. A third question is why the incessant talk about astrological or astronomical, we divide those two, Dante wouldn't, astrological or astronomical markings. And it is incessant. There's a lot of talk here about various star signs, zodiac signs, the sun's position. Why is this suddenly so important? If you remember, Virgil told time in Inferno by the moon. We don't exactly know how Virgil knew where the moon was down there in that cave, but somehow he told time by the moon. Here it's the sun and its various stars, and it seems very prominent, this celestial entity around us. What can we say about that? Why is it suddenly so important? Well, of course, we're outdoors. We've come out of the cave of Inferno and we've come out onto the shores of Purgatory. But is there more to it, more ways that we can unpack that astrological and astronomical emphasis in the poem? Is it one of the ways that Dante is telling us, hey, you're in a new space. Watch out. Things are slightly different here. A fourth question is about singing. <laughs> There's so much of it. They're singing on the boat. They're singing in Latin. Oh, we had a line in Latin, and I left it in Latin in the text. We had a line in Latin, and then Casella starts singing and sings a song about love to Dante to calm Dante's soul and apparently the other uh, purgatorial souls around whom have gotten off the boat. What, what's all this singing going on? There. <laughs> 
<laughs> there wasn't much singing in Inferno. In fact, if you can remember, there was very little singing except for the poet who referred to his own cantos, which is a form of singing. So the poet referred to what he was doing as singing. <laughs> There's really not much singing in Inferno, to say the least. Why so much singing here? What does singing bring to poetry? It brings certain things to poetry. It brings up certain problems in poetics. A poem is one thing. Lyrics to a song are another. And they limit and also open up poetry in certain ways. Let's talk about that in the first two cantos. A fifth question is, who is Casella? Who is this guy? I mean, he gets off the boat. Dante knows him. Dante tries to hug him. His arms go through him. Oh, oh, there's a change. Oops, we're in a different space. In Inferno, Dante seems to be able to yank the hair of the damned. Here, he doesn't seem to be able to grab hold of Casella. What's going on? That seems to indicate we've changed gears pretty hard right here. And what is this song that he begins to sing? This is actually incredibly important. You may know the answer to this already. But this is an incredibly important question, and it's brought up for us here in the first two cantos. I'm being a little coy because a lot of people who know comedy know exactly what Casella is doing. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny what he's doing, but what he's doing. Uh, so we want to talk about that and who he is and what this song is that he sings. And here's our last immediate question brought up by the first two cantos of Purgatorio. What does Dante know about angels? I mean, here's our first one. This angel who comes, this unbelievable whiteness that first looks like two white things with something white underneath it, but then those appear to be the wings and the boat. And then the messenger takes off again. The angel takes off again back to the the shores of the Tiber, where apparently all of the redeemed gather awaiting their journey to purgatory. Although apparently Casella had to wait a while before he could get in that boat and that angelic messenger wouldn't let him in the boat for a while. And he had to wander around for three months before he could finally get into the boat that went to purgatory. We want to talk about all of that, but we specifically wanted to talk about what Dante knows about angels because really this is our first angel. I mean, okay, listen, there was that guy in Inferno nine, the messenger who comes down and opens the gates of dis. Remember waving his hand in front of his face to get rid of the stink as he crosses the swamp of sticks. That doesn't look like this. That messenger in Inferno doesn't look like this figure, this heavenly minister, this angel, are they both angels? Is that messenger something else? Is Dante changing his mind about angels? Do angels appear differently in hell than they do in the world of the redeemed? And what does Dante know about angels? What's his, to use the fancy theological word, what's his angelology? Oh, there is the fancy word, angelology. And what would he know about these beings? We want to talk about that, but that really will just be the first of hundreds of conversations we'll have about angels over the course of Purgatorio. But we want to kind of start out and have our first conversations about angels. So there's our first questions that I see that come out of Cantos 1 and 2 of Purgatorio. In the next episode of this podcast, we will be ready to start in our slow walk through these two cantos. 
Hope you enjoyed this opening episode of Purgatorio. Well, second episode. There was one kind of preface episode, and now we're into it. We've got a mountain to climb. We're not climbing it yet. It's interesting that we got a mountain to climb, and yet our first direction is down. In order to find out more about all of that, you got to subscribe to this podcast, like it, rate it. Please rate it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the people lately who have been leaving such nice ratings in Australia. Thank you for that. I see that as it comes through on the various analytic feeds, and I really appreciate that, but I would appreciate it from all of you. If you're enjoying this podcast and you're on this walk with me, let me know. You can find me on Instagram under my own name, Mark Scarborough. You can also find a Facebook group, Walking With Dante. I'm still on Twitter, but Twitter's gotten kind of funky, so not sure exactly how long I'll be on Twitter. But you can find me there, and I would love to know that you're walking with me and have more conversations with you. Come back, and we're going to start through the first canto of Purgatorio. I'm Mark Scarborough. Let's get walking. Let's get walking.